The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Hello, and welcome to the Josh Marshall Podcast. This is David Tainter. Well, guys, we made it through the debates of 2020. I am joined by our, my colleagues, Kate Riga and Tierney Sneed. How are you guys doing? God, <laughs> good. Better, you know, it always feels good when you kind of clear through the last one and kind of know where the dust has settled. Absolutely. Yeah. So we just got done watching the final debate, considerably less manic and kind of insane, <laughs> frankly, than the first first go around. Trump obviously stuck to, uh, I guess, his slightly more subdued approach. Um, Kate, give me your first impressions on, on how the night went, uh, what, what some of your big takeaways are. Yeah. I mean, I think there's going to be a considerable amount of reaction that is praising Trump because he didn't like punch anyone in the face. Basically, he was a lot more restrained than the first time interrupted less. Um, but I think then what it opened it up to is when they actually had, you know, two minutes to respond to the questions, you just found Trump very hard to follow. Um, I did a standalone during the night about kind of how he speaks in these buzzwords of various conspiracy theories that are really hard to follow if you're not you know, consuming as many hours of Fox News as he did. Um, I think that we got to hear more than the first debate, definitely from Biden about his, um, you know, more of the nuts and bolts of his plans. Um, but, you know, I mean, I'm such a broken record on this, but I think debates are just really about showmanship and you don't actually learn anything very substantive from them. So in that regard, um, I'm sure Trump will get credit for being more restrained. Um, but, you know, I thought that Biden held his own and did a pretty good job dispensing of some of Trump's hard to follow accusations and kind of getting back onto track. Tierney, what uh, what are some of your big takeaways? What jumped out to you? Yeah, I mean, you definitely could tell that there was a different strategy that Trump had, you know, that had been instilled with, in Trump before going into this. And, you know, I don't know if the message was like, buddy, this isn't even about the White House anymore. This is about keeping the Senate GOP, uh, you know, keeping the, the Senate in control by the GOP. But, you know, clearly there was a strategic choice. But I will say it seems like his strongest kind of stretch was sort of at the beginning. And it didn't take long for things to sort of go off the rails. And, you know, occasionally he would land a, a line here and there that you could see kind of being impactful in a, in a vacuum, but it, it gets lost in the noise. And something I was thinking about was just how hard it's been for him to define Biden over the total arc of this campaign. And that was, you know, still clear in this debate where, you know, there was the Hunter Biden laptop stuff that he clearly was trying to pivot to time and time again. But then there was also, you know, this kind of repeated line that's, well, you had eight years to do it, but you didn't. And then there's, you know, the super predator stuff, which is, you know, not even something that Biden himself said, but kind of a similar theme that has come up before. And it goes back to the same problem that it's been a manic campaign that has not been able to kind of coalesce around a single 
way to define Biden. And even when you have a more, you know, quote unquote, subdued performance, that problem persists. And, you know, I, I don't I don't know what sort of voters would, were moved from the Biden column to the Trump po- column tonight. I mean, there might have been some voters who were about to leave Trump and then kind of were pulled back. So maybe that's a win. But Trump's the underdog. You know, he doesn't he he needs to do more than just, you know, retain his current supporters. He needs to be reaching into the Biden column. Yeah, that's a good point. That's kind of my big takeaway, too, is that I don't think the debate fundamentally changed the race at all. Like you say, Tierney, Trump is behind in the polls and the polls aren't, you know, 100 percent you know, predictive of the outcome, but it was the last opportunity Trump had to speak to a large national audience and, you know, try to change the course of things in some way. And I just think even by this weekend, are people going to even think, be thinking about the debate, caring about the debate? It just didn't seem like it really, um, really changed much for him. And not to mention, Tierney, this is your expertise, but like nearly 50 million people have already voted, right? And so you already have a big chunk of just the American population has already made their decision, already cast their ballot. And whatever Trump said tonight or Biden said, for that matter, it's it's kind of too late, right? Yeah. I mean, obviously, if you were the type of person who could have been swayed by debate, you probably didn't vote early. Um, And if you're the type of person who's going to show up on the first day of voting and wait in a six hour line, you're probably the type of person who, you know, knew who you were going to vote for regardless. So I I don't want to, you know, discount too much, you know, the effect of early voting. I think people should have that choice. But um, no, I agree that this uh, it, it was still even though this sort of tone was a little bit more subdued, it still it still felt a little manic to me, um, even in the sense of kind of what was the goal here? Like I said, in the first couple of minutes, it seemed like he was at the president was at his best at sticking at this strategy. But then time and time again, he just fell into these ridiculous traps, whether it was, you know, get a, getting baited into saying crazy things about windmills to to, to the way that he scoffed at Biden's line about, um, you know, families sitting at their kitchen table. And I think that's what comes out there is, you know, that sort of attitude worked really well for Trump in the Republican primary of 2016. And this is not the Republican primary of 2016. And this is also not the general election of 2016. This is a different set of issues. And I, I, I just don't think he's, fully figure out a way to retool his approach four years later. Yeah. And I think, you know, looking at the other end of it, he definitely gave the Biden campaign some fodder to work with. You know, definitely the scoffing at the American families line is going to show up in an ad. His little, um, you know, one off when Biden was talking about the 525 uh, immigrant children who don't know where their parents are. And Trump said, good. You know, there was still... Every time before these debates, we hear speculation about a tone change, a pivot. But, you know, Trump is who he is. He's never really shown an ability to change that substantively. Um, And I think that was true tonight. And I I kind of think the only people who will be wowed by his change in tone are maybe people who wanted to vote for him anyway. And here's, you know, the the excuse or the cover they need. But uh, yeah, I mean, I can't imagine that we have fence sitters at this point who found this debate to be anything that, you know, moved them off the mark, especially because yeah. the, the constant attempts to kind of smear the Bidens as a criminal enterprise is just you know, part of the reason that hasn't stuck is because it's so ridiculous and like self-projection, you know, it's something that there's evidence that the Trumps do. Um, 
And then the fact that he tried to lodge these attacks by just kind of throwing in incomplete sentences and word salads with, you know, millions of dollars thrown in here and there, I don't think was the most effective way to try to get that accusation across in the first place. Yeah, I think like if you're just to kind of, you know, not not a political junkie person sitting at home watching this, I think you would just basically be confused about most of the nonsense Trump was throwing at Biden, right? Like the three and a half million dollars from Russia, the being owned by China, all this stuff. It's kind of like, wait, what? And I, you know, not to give the American people too little credit, but when Trump is saying, oh, coyotes are bringing, you know, immigrant children to the U.S., like, do most people know what that term even means, you know, as far as like kind of you know, smuggling people across the border? Or are people thinking he's talking about, like, wolves, basically, you know? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, maybe we should talk about Biden's performance a little bit. Yeah, I mean, sure. You know, the, the stakes for him, are, for him are obviously lower because he's not the underdog. Um, but I do think he had some strong points tonight. I think he was at his best when he got to deliver lines that get at what I think is his fundamental focus here, which is to make this about character and making this about... Trump not being of the character of the, the United States and Biden, you know, seeking to restore that. I mean, he, he used that rhetoric explicitly, but I think you could also see it in the answers Biden gave about the talk that African-American families have to give their children or the way Biden talked about family separation or even his line about tax, the tax returns. And, you know, what are you hiding, Trump? Those are the types of lines that I think, you know, even though they're on different kind of issues, kind of we're able to sort of focus in on that defining question Biden wants this race to be about. And, you know, I, I do think there were some slip ups, particularly where when Biden was trying to get into, you know, the detailed aspects of his plan. And I get that's why, you know, something candidates like to do sometimes at debates. And sometimes I thought, you know, we don't need to you don't need to get into these details if it's going to lead into a, a gaffe that the, the Trump campaign, I'm sure, is going to have clipped and on their social media. But I think those moments were few and far between. And I think there was plenty of moments where he got to make these sort of sweeping big picture ar arguments that were very effective, staring straight into the camera that I think this will be a, you know, was a decent performance for him. Yeah. Hey, actually, anything yet? Anything you would add? Yeah, I thought this was one of, if not Biden's strongest debates of the cycle, particularly the first hour. Um, I thought he was a lot more nimble than we've seen him before. Um, you know, sometimes when he gets nervous during the debates, he gets very stiff and you can tell that he's trying to recall these rehearsed uh, answers and he sometimes stumbles over them. But I thought one of his strongest moments of the night was somewhat off the cuff when Trump said people are learning to live with it when he was talking about COVID and Biden transferred that into, you know, people are learning to die with it and then turned that into a compelling answer um, you know, talking about empty kitchen tables and spouses reaching over for, you know, their dead wife or husband in the night out of habit. And, you know, that's very compelling imagery. And I think hits at the heart of what Biden is making this campaign about, which is, you know, in the foreground, Trump's really bungled response to COVID and the complete lack of empathy with which he's responded to it. Um, so, yeah, I thought it was a strong performance from him, from someone who is not generally considered to be a great debater. Um, and I think he really skillfully kind of dispatched with Trump's conspiratorial, hard to follow stuff. He didn't get bogged down in the, you know, accusations about his son, which I saw some speculation that, you know, there was worries that he would get defensive and angry because Trump's going after his family. But I thought he just kind of dispatched with that and moved on to his 
you know, his key talking points uh, more often than he didn't. So I thought it was a, a strong performance for him. Maybe we can end just with the last couple of minutes we have talking about Kristen Welker's job as moderator. What did you what did you think of her performance? I mean, it's hard to compare this debate to the one Chris Wallace moderated because Trump was just so off the rails during that. And clearly, you know, Trump's subdued performance maybe benefited Kristen Welker a little bit. But what did you think about her job tonight? I, I was pretty impressed. I think it's definitely one of those jobs that is much harder <laughs> than, you know, than it looks and it, yeah. it already looks really hard. But I do think, you know, it's not, I, I wouldn't say she was trying to fact check everything anyone said, but she did ask some effective follow ups. You know, I think I'm thinking about sort of in the very beginning of the debate when Trump said, oh, the vaccine will be ready within weeks. And she said, can you guarantee that? And he said, no, I can't guarantee it. So right. I think, you know, without being so intrusive that she took away from the discussion, she was able to sort of insert herself in ways that ended up revealing things to the audience, which is what you're hoping a moderator can will do will, you know, only put themselves in the in the exchange to bring out more information, not try to, you know, referee too much that you don't get anything out of it. Yeah, I mean, I saw a lot of people complimenting her on Twitter and everything. And I think what you said, DT is like pretty instrumental that her job was much easier than Chris Wallace's because Trump wasn't really interrupting. Um, and I, I'm not sure how any moderator deals with that. But my uh, biggest quibble with her, I think, is something that no moderator has proven themselves able to do. But Trump has this habit of starting to ask the questions himself. Uh, he did that multiple times tonight. He's done it in other debates, um, you know, where he'll just like turn to Joe and be like, so what about China? You know, blah, blah, blah. And asking all these questions and then be like, no, nope, he didn't answer it. He didn't answer it. And I thought she let him get away with too much of that tonight. You know, he doesn't get to frame and ask the questions. And I don't think the debates should treat them like those are, you know, actual questions that demand an answer. Um, but yeah, I thought she did a fine job. Any closing thoughts before we go? I mean, just to two years and a couple months until it's the 2024 primary and Don Jr. baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's go. Ivanka versus Don Jr. in the Republican primary. Let's make it happen. <laughs> All right. Well, that's all the time we have tonight. As a reminder to our listeners, the Josh Marshall podcast is sponsored by Grady's Cold Brew. They are doing a special pre-election uh, deal for our listeners. Any number of orders up until election day, you can get 25% off at Grady'sColdBrew.com using the promo code TPM. Tierney and Kate, really appreciate you joining me and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Good night, everyone. Have a good night. Bye.